And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Talk 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 Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Serino. Alongside me, co-host Dan Kylie. We're here today. It's Tuesday. College football playoff rankings debut. Georgia beat the crap out of Florida. And hey, real quick, for the people who predicted Florida to upset Georgia and are going to predict upsets the next three weeks in a row... That's what we're going to be doing every single Tuesday, Dan, for the next three weeks in a row. I bet you Glory, Glory, George Bulldog is going to be playing on this show. Because uh, I, I, I'm i just going to say it. I'm just going to say it right now, Dan. Uh, whoever said on the ESPN broadcast that Kirby Smart was doing backflips when he got ranked below one? Chef's kiss. He's dang right. Although, I don't think Kirby's watching. I'm, I'm assuming whoever texted him about Dan's bowling prediction of <laughs> Florida beating Georgia was probably the same guy that's alerted Kirby. Hey, you're the number two team in the country. Dan, how are you doing this Tuesday? Well, listen, it's a Tuesday. The first rankings came out. Georgia is not number one. They're number two. We're going to get to that in just one second. So I decided to come to the show in my sideline gear with my Kirby visor on because it's time to get serious. And, you know, to the people saying in the comments, uh, where are you going to be at when Florida beats Georgia? We're going to be here. You know what? In every game that Georgia plays, we're going to be here every Tuesday, seven thirty. Win, lose, sun or shine, you know, sunshine or rain, whatever. We're going to be here every Tuesday, seven thirty. So if you're coming here to uh, gloat about your Florida win, uh, I guess you didn't come today, did you? I I, I don't think they're going to show up yet. We had somebody uh, reply in our comments asking Dan where where was he going to be if you know Florida beats Georgia, but hey. We ain't got to worry about that. Dan Kiley actually texted me Saturday and says, if Georgia loses, we're doing a Saturday postgame show. Uh, that's how far he was going to go, was we were having a Saturday postgame show. Uh, Georgia shouldn't even be ranked the top 25? Seven and five. Propaganda's fixing to be big. Hey, you're damn right it is. Dan, let's get into it. If you've been living under a rock and haven't checked your phone, lately, or even Twitter at this point. Uh, college football rankings are out today. Starting from, let's go number one down, Dan. Ohio State number one, Georgia number two, Michigan number three, and Florida State four. Dan, before we get into five through ten, let's just get your reactions one through four. Give me everything you got. So here, here's my thing. is like this early in the playoffs um, positioning and all that stuff. I don't really care about the order so much. I mean, obviously the order does matter in the last one, but not in the first one. But I think for the most part, they got the, the top four teams right. And I think that's all anybody should be worried about because in the end, you're going to have to beat everybody anyway, right? So just make sure that the right four are in. And for me right now, based on the evidence that we have as of today, all the da data points we have as of today, I think the top four is right. I mean, can you make an argument that Ohio State is number one over Georgia? Absolutely, you can make that case. I mean, it's hard for me to say that Georgia is not the best team in the country, but Georgia hasn't played like the best team in the, in the country all season long. And, you know, Ohio State hasn't necessarily either, but they do have a better resume at this point. Now, all that goes away because Georgia's schedule is fixing to get real good, real quick, real fast in a hurry. I don't even know how that saying goes, but you know what I mean. It's about to get real good. And, you know, it's all going to balance out. At the end of the day, do they have the right four teams in the playoff? I think they do. I mean, I, like Washington to me is just that's Pac-10, Gloryland, bullshit. They don't play anybody. And like when they do have to play somebody, they're going to get their teeth kicked in. Um and Oregon, I think Oregon at six is a good team. Kirk Herbstreet said on the show, that's the one team that he wouldn't want to play right now. Harrison, I think you feel that way too. Uh, and then, you know, you got some other teams, but they all have one loss. They're going to have to wait for things to happen. Um, but, you know, the, the good thing for everybody else in the country is the two of these teams are going to play each other, right? Ohio State and Michigan are going to play each other. So, you know, that leaves Georgia and Florida State kind of sitting there waiting to find out who the other team is now could two big 10 teams get in sure i guess they could but i'm telling you that if oregon runs the table they have a great chance to get in and i think oregon has a great chance to run the table that's my reaction to the top four i know you said don't go outside the top four but i'm a, not a rule follower i'm a rule breaker he's a rebel he's a rebel i got my uh, kirby on i don't listen to anybody <laughs> Dan, I, I, I'm kind of with you on this. I think they got the top four right. I think maybe not in the order that I would say. Uh, you made a great point that Ohio State's resume is one of, if not the best in college football this year. But I, I and 
like you said, they may not have played like the number one team in each week uh, this year. And I, I, I can attest to that. And Georgia hasn't either at this point. I think the only team that has played to the standard of being the number one team, and I know it, this this whole conversation could go out the window when we talk about the schedule, is Michigan. Michigan's yep. blown out every single opponent they played. Granted, as my friend Dan Kylie says, they played Northeast, uh, West, you know, I don't know how Dan says it. Dan says, Dan, give me the, the school, Northeast, Southwest. I, yeah, we like played, that. that's it. We played Northeast, Southwest University. Yeah. So, granted, they've, they've played Northeast, Southwest University, and but they've blown them out. Uh, they may or may not have cheated during that. They may or may not have illegally stole signs. They may or may not have had sent a coach to go scout in person illegally. May not have done that, but hey, they blew out everyone they played. Florida State, I think, is interesting, Dan, at four, because I thought it, between them and Washington at that point for that number four spot, both undefeated, both have good wins. I think Washington, you know, Washington's win over Oregon is one of the best wins in the country at the moment, considering the way Oregon has played. Florida State's over LSU, that's a good win. Anytime you can beat one of the top teams of the SEC when you're not in the SEC, that's a good win for you right there. But they're, they're, they're true the same for me, Dan. I could go either way with those two. I think Washington struggles recently is the reason they're at five. When you look at Florida State, they just blew out Wake Forest, who not a bad football team, but not a good football team by any means. But Washington struggled, I think, in the last two weeks, Dan. Uh, you were in the chat Saturday saying, hey, are y'all watching this game? Granted, I was not. I was watching the Ohio State game against Wisconsin. Uh, really good defensive football going on over there in the Big Ten. I know they like to say their offenses is great. Um, or if you're on the flip side of it, like my friend Jay will, and I don't want to take him out of context here. My friend, Jay, our, our boy Jay will said, you know, those are just some really good de- or just some really bad offenses. And Hey, his decision kind of backed it up. They, they didn't have, you know, many high scoring offenses over there in the big 10, but I'm with you, Dan, uh, top four, maybe, maybe not in order for me. Maybe I'd probably switch, uh, Michigan to number one, just cause they've dominated everybody they've played, but Hey, I can get along with it at this point. I'm a little surprised that Michigan's not number one or two to me, but maybe it's just with the cheating scandal that has affected them. Dan, that's my question for you. Has this recent stuff coming out about Michigan, in your opinion, affected the committee's view on them? I, I don't think so at all. I think it's just that they haven't played anybody, and I think the committee has a hard time putting Michigan over Ohio State or Georgia based on uh, talent, for one, but then also who they played. Now, listen, Georgia hasn't played – a great schedule up to this point. Um, you know, it's getting tougher and we're about to see it get real tough, but you know, they've played at least somebody, the Florida's at least to somebody, right? Um, I'm listen, we beat Auburn pretty convincingly, but Auburn is not, I mean, they're not nobody. And, uh, I'm missing somebody that we played that was pretty decent. Um, oh yeah. Uh, Kentucky, Kentucky. When, they came, when Kentucky came in, they were ranked and, you know, we don't get credit for a ranked win because they're not ranked now, but, uh, you know, Kentucky was, was pretty hot when we played them. So, you know, like the one thing to me is I, I feel like it was vindicated on the show because everybody had a different number one. Like they were going across the panel asking who the best team was and everybody thought it was somebody else. So like mm-hmm. to me, that means there's not really a wrong answer because every single person on the panel had a, a different reason for a different person. Like you could make Florida state right now, number one. And I don't think that I would be upset with that. I I think you could make that argument that they are, have they played incredible every single week? No, they have not played incredible every single week, but they've beaten some really good football teams. They've played some really good football. So you could say Florida state's number one. Should Michigan be number one? Granted, they haven't played anybody, but that's not necessarily the kids on the team's fault, right? That's the schedule makers fault. And every single person that they've put in their face, they've beaten the hell out of. So you got to give Michigan credit for that. Georgia, like I've been saying it all year long, and, and I'm on record. You can go back to any one of our shows. I said when Georgia feels that the opponent is worthy, they show up, and then they beat the hell out of them too, right? So Georgia, week I, I feel like is the best team in the country, but they haven't played like it week in and week out, but they do play like it when they're interested. And then Ohio State – some really really quality teams now granted they beat notre dame with 10 guys um but outside of that ohio state's played some really good football they've won the games that they had to win um I, yeah i i just i really don't feel like with the top four like i said i think all of the the right four are in it you can make an argument for any one of them i think if anybody is outraged at with the top the order of the top four i i'd say um uh, man 
go, go get some ice cream and just it just you know just play soft music in the background and eat your ice cream because there's no reason to be outraged just the first week i think the right four teams are in it and i think at this point with the data points that we have i think it would be hard to argue that they're not uh, in the right order I mean, like I said, maybe you put Florida State ahead of Michigan. I don't know. But how do you penalize Michigan for beating the hell out of everybody they played? So I, I think it's fine. I think I really I do it, Harrison. I think it's fine. And I know that's probably not what everybody wants to hear, but I think it's fine. Hey, I'm with you. Uh, Dan, next question. Let's talk sixth or five through ten. Uh, and actually, first, before we do that, I got two questions. Of the four teams, just in the top four, of the three other teams in the top four, Give me the matchup you want for Georgia in January and the matchup you don't want. Talking about first round. In the first round, the, the matchup round. I do not want in the first round is Ohio State. And the matchup I do want in the first round is Michigan. Any 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 explanation? What what's what's what what's the difference for you? Like what makes those match what makes the matchup you don't like about Ohio um, State and what do you like about Michigan? Uh what I don't like about Ohio State is they are a legit team that has legit weapons that can play. And they are battle-tested. They are a blue-blood program. Uh, and they historically, they're just great. They're just Ohio State's always great. And, you know, granted, they have a, a young quarterback. But by the end of the season, he won't be young. Uh, and then the reason I want Michigan is because what do they do well? They run the ball really, really well. What does Georgia always do? Stop the run. So, uh, yeah, I hear you. You want FSU. They're a fraud. I just – I think – an easier matchup for Georgia would be Michigan, but you're right. I'm not scared of FSU though. Out of the top four teams, actually out of every team in the top 10, the only team that literally scares me or scared is not the right word, but the one team that I, I think Georgia would have, um, or, you know, they would have their work cut out for them would be Ohio state. The rest of them, I think, um, if uh, motivated Georgia showing up, I think they could beat all of them pretty handily. Uh, maybe, maybe Alabama, just because it's Alabama. And even though, yes, we beat them the last time we played them, still the ghosts of Alabama are real. I, I'm with you. I think Michigan is the matchup I want a lot if I'm Georgia because, like you said, they do something that Georgia's really good at stopping. Like, they're trying to beat Georgia, playing Georgia football almost, mm -hmm. trying to play bully ball. And Kirby Smart said in his press conference, and Brooks Austin said it over and over and over again on his film study, there's one thing you don't do and you don't run north and south in University of Georgia. Kirby Smart said it this week on his press conference, almost as if he was watching our boy Jay Will and Brooks Austin and Kirby, Christian Kirby over there on the Film Guy Network. Uh, you don't run north-south against Georgia, and teams haven't done it, not even Auburn. Auburn get, got the most rushing yards on Georgia in, I think, five years. Had 200 yards the most in five years. They did it trying to run around Georgia. Granted, they had a 65-yard QB keeper, which helps, a lot when you get explosive ganders on Georgia. But other than that, everyone's been trying to get onto the edge and, you know, trying to beat Georgia with their athletes. And for the most part, Georgia's done well at stopping that. So Michigan, uh, I, I, I would like that matchup, like Dan says. For me, Dan, I think it's a tie between Ohio State and Florida State. Uh, we don't know much about Kyle McCord as a quarterback. Obviously, he's very young, first-year starter. But – how hard is it, you know, to to wreck the the Lamborghini you got up there in Columbus when you have Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka on the outside? Like it's pretty hard to wreck that ship right there, that that car right there. You just got to keep it inside the lines, keep it on the road, and let your playmakers do the rest. That's what they want to do. Uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. without Emeka Ibuka in the lineup has been playing insane at an insane level. I think he has. I want to say he has at least four games with over 100 yards receiving this year. He is going off by all standards. Then Florida State. Dan, we talked about it. Another one where I'm not sure what to make of the quarterback. Jordan Travis has played well in the games I've watched him, but he hasn't come up against a team like Georgia or a team like, you know, in years past, you'd say Alabama, uh, that has a really good defense and has those playmakers up front, has those playmakers on the back end to really cover him. But we say all the time, Dan, you need an elite quarterback and some elite receivers to beat Georgia. And they got two of them in, in Tallahassee in uh, Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. Those two guys are playing at a really high level this year. Uh, right to me, of the four of the four teams in the playoffs right now, I think them and Ohio State have the top weapons outside, uh, not including Brock Bowers for Georgia, because obviously Brock Bowers is probably, I'd argue, the best player of any of the four teams. He started every single program up there. Uh, maybe even be the best player in the college football playoff. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. may have something to say about that. Dan, 
five through ten, and we're going to move on from this because you got a fiery rant. What matchup? Right, okay, let's start here. What team? And I already know your dang answer because you said it preseason, Dan. You said Oregon's making the college football playoffs, and they're by all got by all means, they're in a great position to do so at the moment. What what's the move in the shake and looking like here? Who do you see? Oregon aside, I'm gonna take Oregon out of the equation because I think that's the easy answer for you. What other teams do you see maybe potentially moving up the rankings? And if any, which team moves out of the top ten completely if you had to choose? I so here's the thing I don't get how, Oklahoma's number nine. Yes. Don't don't solo screaming. Um, why are they number nine? Did they just lose? They just lost to Kansas. Yeah, an unranked team, and they they're number nine. I I mean, the, out of out of everything that I've seen so far, that's the most trash thing I've seen on this damn list. Like Oklahoma number nine. That's just a joke. But anyway, if I'm not allowed to say Oregon, I think the team that can make the most noise out of that group of five would be Alabama, and for obvious reasons. I mean they. Yes, they lost to Texas. I get that. Uh, it was the first game of the season. They didn't really know what they were doing with the quarterback position. Their offensive line didn't play well. They have a lot of young guys in the secondary. They're getting better every single week. They just are. I think at the end of the year, it's going to be a really good game. You know, my, my prediction would be Georgia-Alabama for the SEC championship game. Whoa, going out on a limb there. Um, but, you know, like I, they, they still have LSU left on their schedule. That's going to be a really tough game for them. But, you know, I really think that, um, Alabama has a chance to make some noise out of that group, but you know, I know you said I can't pick Oregon, but I really like Oregon, and I think Bo Nix has come a long way. I mean, he's been in college for 38 years, and you know, by this point, he's 47 years old, and he's playing great. So, I mean, Oregon's tough, and Dan Lanning's doing a hell of a job. He just really is. You know, Dan, I saw uh, CBS tweeted out. You know who started the most games in college football history? Aaron Murray. No. Bo Nix, he started 57 games as a five-year senior. He started from his true freshman year. Oh, Auburn, yeah, 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 yeah. He very got first game, and he's starting now as a fifth-year senior through COVID. And it's not like Seth Bennett, where Seth Bennett was, you know, didn't play for a whole year, didn't play for like two years. He's been playing for since the beginning. This was a highly recruited kid out of out of high school, and he's the most experienced starting quarterback in all of college football history at this point. Just wild yeah. to see. I think, you know, the, the guy that was before, I, I believe it was Kellen Moore, wasn't it? I, I believe so. I believe you're right on that At one. Boise State, I think he started for like 19 years. And crazy. Stetson ended up being up there, but I I mean, Bo Nix blows him out of the water. The, the with Stetson all the games one kind of throws me for a loop because he basically didn't play for three years. Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't see – I think the first time he ever saw action was when Jake Fromm got hurt against LSU. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it was, uh, maybe he saw, uh, some, some fourth quarter action wait, when George wait, didn't he come in and, and relief? He came in relief in the Arkansas game. I thought that was his first game. First game where he played actual major snaps. He played Jake Fromm hurt his ankle against LSU in the, in the SEC championship in 19. Um, and he played for a little bit, but like maybe a snap or a few, a two. We didn't have Jacob Eason. No, this was after Eason left in oh, 19. Okay. Um, yeah. Dan. Dan's rant. I'm going to sit back and relax for this one because this one's going to be good. All right, so my rant this week is on these smug-ass coaches in the press conferences. And it's, it's so obnoxious and annoying, right? It's like it's not that hard to just be professional. It, you know, like the one thing that I, I will say is like Nick Saban and Bill Belichick set the record for being the smuggest coaches at any press conference. Like Bill Belichick is just a dick all the time and he never like he never turns it off. And I, I've never understood that. Uh, there's no reason for it and it just drives me crazy. But the guy wins at a, at a ridiculous well, did win at a ridiculously level. And I think we are starting to see that the reason he won all those games is because he had a guy named Tom Brady. And maybe he's not as smart as everybody thought. But that's the, neither here nor there. But Nick Saban, like Nick Saban is the I will say the goat of being smug. I mean, listen, I mean, Bill Belichick's in his own level, but I'm saying like Nick Saban will let you know when you're an idiot and when you ask stupid questions, but with Kirby, with Nick Saban, like, yes, they can be smug, but if you ask an intelligent question, for the most part, they're going to give you an intelligent answer. Now, there may be a situation where you ask a question that is a good question, but they just don't want to answer that question. And most of the time they'll be like, that is a good question or, you like you know they'll probably say something smart ass like 
hey, that was a well-thought-out question, but I'm still not going to answer it. You know, whatever the case may be. But I say all that to say this. If you ask a stupid question, you deserve a stupid answer. And I, and I agree with that. But when you're somebody like Jeff Collins, who is irrelevant now because he's been booted because he was terrible football coach. But then you also have a guy like, I don't know, let's say Arthur Smith, who is the equivalent of born on third. You know, like everybody wants to say Ryan Day is born on third. This guy's born on third. His dad is the freaking founder of FedEx. Okay. Like the guy is rich. All right. He's done nothing in his entire career that's exceptional. He's never done anything exceptional. He was at Tennessee's offensive coordinator. He handed the ball off or had his quarterback hand the ball off to a generational back who had an unprecedented three years. He had the ultimate game manager at quarterback who didn't make mistakes, took care of the football. They matriculated the ball down the field. They were not an elite scoring offense. They didn't blow people out. They relied on their defense to bail them out of a lot of games and then just milked the clock. Nothing electric. Horrible hire by the Falcons, in my opinion. But that's neither here nor there because he's the Falcons coach now. There's nothing I can do about it at this point. But then you're going to go to your press conference and act like you're the smartest person in the world and act like everybody in the room is a bunch of idiots. They are asking you legitimate questions. They deserve legitimate answers. They're doing their job. Just because you can't answer the question, so you're going to act like a dick because you don't have the answers? You know, here's the thing. You're being criticized because you're not using the running back that you took in the top 10. You took him number eight in the draft, B. John Robinson. I don't think anybody would argue that B. John Robinson is a probably one of the top five backs in the NFL right now. But we wouldn't know that because we only give him 11 carries in a football game. You know, everybody wants to say, oh, maybe they're saving them for the second contract. I don't know. How about use them in the first contract? Because it, by all means, he's probably going to get hurt at some point. So you might as well get something out of him. And there are no such things as Adrian Peterson's because they don't exist. Adrian Peterson is a unicorn. Those don't come along. So, you know, and then you're saying you want to ride the hot hand. But statistically, B. John Robinson had more or had better stats than the other two running backs. I don't think he understands what the hot hand means. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. I cannot stand smug coaches to begin with, but then you have a smug coach who's, who is making horrible decisions and being called out on his decisions. I don't know. There's this guy that you could have drafted at a position of need, a uh, defensive tackle named J uh, Jalen Carter, who is by uh, PFF or whatever, the most efficient pass rusher in the NFL this year. Or you could have a running back who's fantastic. Again, not taking shots at Bijan at a position you didn't need. And then on top of that, you're not going to use him. So I don't know what to do. You know, you 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 didn't play the quarterback uh, last year early enough in the season. And then this year you're playing the quarterback who's obviously the worst quarterback in the league. And then you have the other guy come in and then you're like, you know, it's not up to y'all, blah, 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 whatever. I just – I am so over smug coaches to begin with. But then you have a smug coach who's making horrible decisions and then being rude to the people who are covering the sport. And I hope that, you know, whenever your seat gets a little bit hotter, those same people that you're a jerk to, I hope they write all the articles about how your butt needs to be fired. And then, you know, you didn't, you did it to yourself, my guy, you did it to yourself. You know, it doesn't take a whole lot to be courteous to the, your audience um, and just be polite. Just be polite. Like you can not answer a question if you don't want to, but you don't have to be a jerk about it, especially when you've done nothing to warrant that. That's my my rant. Let's get into Georgia Florida recap. I told you Dan was going to bring it today. Dan brought it today. Pearson <laughs> um, doesn't want to touch that. <laughs> <laughs> Dan brought the flamethrower. I'm just going to move on. Let Dan, let Dan Mike drop uh, drop the mic, and we'll move on. Dan, Georgia Florida recap. You've said it since day one. And what has that been? That when Georgia's motivated to play, they play well. They no, they don't play well. They play like a steamroller. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it's it's what they've said uh, since the beginning. Um... <laughs> Are you kidding? No, you can't do that. That is, that is that is horse crap and chicken chicken liver. You un, you unban him right now. I just put him in timeout. He's not banned. <laughs> but um. Dan, uh, getting back because I just I just tracked the whole show. Uh, 
yeah, I mean, Georgia Georgia came out from, uh, aside from the first defensive possession where Florida goes down and scores uh, really quickly, I might add. It was, Georgia had a chance to get off the field on first down, uh, and I was only half paying attention because I was working during the game doing something else. And I, and I thought at one point, I saw Graham Mertz running the sideline, so I thought Georgia got off the field, but no, they get a first down. Two plays later, they get a touchdown. Dan, this prompted discussion on Twitter that I interjected in myself in, but I want to get your thoughts on it because I haven't talked to you about it. Georgia fans want Kirby to start, you know, to stop deferring to the second half. They want to start getting the ball first because of Georgia's slow starts. I mean, is this seem even something that you're like you would think about? Because to me, having the opportunity to double dip, score before halftime, and then score right after halftime, as Dan goes to highlight the comment that I see him put in the chat. Uh, I mean, is this even a conversation for you, or is this just dead in the water? Uh, I, to me, it's irrelevant because um, um, here, here's my whole thing. I, I love the taking the ball in the second half because then you have an opportunity to possibly score and then get the ball back, right? Um, it's just how I – you know, a lot of times in the beginning of the football game, it's a lot of feeling out, and sometimes I feel like that first position can be lost unless you just have an electric offense where you know you're going to go put points on the board and now the other team is playing from behind the whole game. I understand both thoughts, okay? Like if, you know, like Georgia's offense last year was so electric and so efficient that they would be able to go down the field and put points on the board. If they wanted to take the ball to start the game, I get that. Like Lane Kiffin is the ultimate take the ball to start the game kind of guy. But Kirby is a defensive-minded football coach. He he wants to put his defense out there first, get the stand. Because in theory, if you get the stand to start the game and then you're able to go put points on the board, now you have a plus one possession advantage over the other team. So I've always been a defer to the second half guy. So the argument to, to take the ball and start the game falls deaf on my ears because I just that's not the way I like to do it. Um, I want that extra possession in the second half uh, when I feel like more times than not the game's um, more uh, now, listen, there are plenty of games where you're eliminated by halftime, like Georgia absolutely eliminated Florida by halftime. So, um, I mean, there's that, but you know, Georgia got the ball to start the second half, remember? Yeah, and the, the one thing that I keep going back to, Dan, uh, and I even put this when I replied to somebody that had that take was the fact that Georgia lost the game to Alabama in this championship game right before halftime because Alabama won the toss, they deferred, Georgia goes up, I think, 10 nothing. Alabama comes springing back into life. They score right at right before halftime. They go in the locker room. They come back out. They score again. They're up two scores. Boom, like that. Like it's Georgia. All the momentum that Georgia had is now gone by the start of the second half. Just just gone. Completely gone. So I'm with you. It's a non-starter for me. I am deferred to the second half. You figure out what you need to do. Because to me, Dan, it's like, man, it, the defense knows what they want to do going into the first drive. You're obviously going to scout their personnel and you're going to base off what personnel you're in off of what the offense is doing. Florida's at an advantage. The offense is at an advantage to start the game because the offense has a script. And they kind of already know what you're going to do defensively. So they're going to get into their best plays to start the game, their best formations, what they think is going to work, and try and go score on you. So, And we see what ha- what the aftermath is. Florida doesn't score again until the fourth quarter in garbage time when Georgia has its backups on the field. Like... Why why do we need to change what we do? Why does Georgia need to change what they're doing if it's working? So not here for it at all, at, at all. Just keep doing what you're doing because it's working, obviously. You won two national championships off it. Why change now is my thing. Let's get into takeaways, Dan, because I turned on this tape the other day, and man, did one person stand out to me. And actually, no, there was two people that stand out to me. And I told you, I texted you when I started watching it. There's one person I really want to mention, Dylan Fairchild left guard, and this offensive line as a whole. In my opinion, this is the best game they played. The best game they played uh, from pass protection standpoint, from a run game standpoint. I know, I don't, I, I think Georgia rushed for more yards in some other games, but when you're averaging four, four and a half yards per carry on the ground, you rush for 171, and you're absolutely moving folks, especially Jalen Fairchild. That whole first drive, if I'm not mistaken, Jalen Fairchild was moving folks in the run game. Just straight up moving them. And I really think this Georgia offensive line has finally found some chemistry, has finally found what works, and is doing it at a really high rate. 
really excited to see how this progresses because you're going to get Amiri Smith back at some point. I don't know what that is. I'm I'm just I'm curious. Xavier Trust, he's I think he's a fifth year senior. Uh, played he has he's played a lot better. I I would say um, I'm not an offensive line expert, but I, I think he's played well at right tackle. Uh, not saying that you're not going to start Amarius Mims because I think Amarius Mims a day one starter for you when healthy, and he's definitely going to come back into this lineup. But I don't know what you're going to do at left guard because to me, Dylan Fairchild has just just found it. He's found it. He's successful doing the right things, and I'm really excited to watch this offensive line going into next year because I know you lose Cedric Van Pran, you lose Tate Ratledge most likely, you lose potentially Amarius Mims. But you're bringing back Ernest Green and Dylan Fairchild on the left side of that line. Those guys are going to be experienced. Those guys are going to be battle-tested. Those guys are going to be ready to play from day one. Dan, what were your thoughts on the offensive line? Uh, I, I I felt like all season long that the pass blocking really hasn't been an issue for Georgia. I don't recall, and maybe I'm wrong. Um, I, I haven't watched every minute of every game like everybody else has because – got other obligations right now but uh i just really never felt like pass rush was uh, or pass blocking was an issue is the run blocking i didn't feel like we had the aggressiveness and it's getting better every single week i feel like like you you nailed it when you said i feel like the chemistry is there the co- uh, cohesion is there i feel like they're starting to move and then as a result of that my biggest takeaway was that dejon edwards is really starting to hit his stride and you know, I, I keep hearing it talked about now, like, oh, well, now Dejon is draftable. I'm like, wasn't he always draftable? I always thought Dejon was draftable, but I, I think he's really working himself up to maybe uh, a day two type guy, maybe second or third round. I think that, that that's reasonable, especially if he continues to excel and uh, his numbers keep getting better and better. But I really think that this Georgia team is elite when they can run the ball down your throat and that's really what's been kind of missing uh, lately is that ability to just mash. And I think the offensive line is starting to mash. And I think that uh, Dejon Edwards is the perfect back. I, you know, very similar to where um, with the healthy Zamir White, when he could just pound you and pound you and pound you. And I think Dejon can do that. Uh, and Nick Chubb could do that too. Obviously, Nick Chubb had that gear where he could just take off. But, you know, Nick Chubb got those really difficult yards uh, at really important times in the game. And I feel like he's really come to be the back that we count on the most to get us those difficult yards. And, you know, as a byproduct of all that, you know, the play action pass, which George has always been really good at. And Mike Bobo, that's one of his favorite things is the play action pass that he's able to execute it. And then you have guys like, uh, you know, like Ra um, Ra and, and love it really starting to get more and more involved every single week. You could really see him starting to get comfortable. See Peck get comfortable with that. Now, with the Delp thing, like I always felt like Delp was going to slide right in and just be fine. And you say, why would you think that? Well, because Carson Beck and Delp were on the scout team together, and they were working week in and week out. So they naturally have a little bit of chemistry together. Um, and then Lad, Lad is Lad. And I, you know, I laugh when people say he's deceptively fast or, you know, he you have a heart. It's like, just say he's white. Okay. I mean, that's what you want to say is that he's a white receiver and you didn't think he was that good, but he is that good. And he is that fast. Four, four is four, four. I don't care who you are. You could be white, black, red. It doesn't matter. If you run a four, four, you're freaking fast, bro. And you know, when you're shifty, you're in fast, that's really dangerous. And, and lad continues to show everybody how good he is week in and week out. Oscar Delp, I thought fit right in just like I thought he would uh, made a hell of a one handed catch across the middle. Uh, or was that on the sideline? I can't remember. Yeah. Right up across the sideline. Yeah, up the sideline, the one hand grab. But um, the, and then Lawson Lucky came in and blocked. I thought blocked pretty well. Um, I, I didn't watch every one of his plays. Uh, I don't think he had a catch though. Lawson didn't have a catch, did he? Not that I remember. Not that right, I you remember. Can just stay oh, on the screen. Quit, quit doing the solo stuff. So anyway, um, you know he, I, you know um, Joe. You know, believe it or not, the guy who has really been. George's biggest cheerleader in the media so far is Joey Galloway, who is an Ohio State guy of all places. Uh, he's been George's biggest cheerleader. And, you know, he came, he brought up the point for the third time. For the third time, Joey Galloway has brought up the point with Brock Bowers being gone. This Georgia team is going to learn how to use all its other weapons. And so when Brock Bowers comes back, they're going to be lethal. 
And I think he's 100% right. I never thought in a million years that I would say that Joey Galloway is the voice of reason on ESPN, but he is. And I think he makes a lot of valid points. And, you know, just for the record, he had Georgia number one. In uh, maybe that's the guy that we all uh, support from now on. <laughs> Whew. We went everywhere there. We went everywhere. I told Dan, I asked Dan about offense line. He gave me the whole show notes. Uh, I'm just joking. But hey, I'm with you, Dan, on everything. I think all around the offense played at a really high level. Uh, Carson Beck, talk about coming out party. Carson Beck had himself a day. Had himself a day. 19 to 28, 315, two touchdowns. Even had a heck of an NFL throw, which, Dan, I don't know why, but when you go on the timeline and you post a really cool throw from Carson Beck, you get a bunch of rival fans. Coming in your mentions saying all this and that about, oh, the safety could have made the play. And I'm going to put it up on screen here, Dan, because uh, I sent it to you. But I get it. I get it. I guess I need to add context to why I put this out. But watch me. If you're not watching on YouTube, by the way, come watch this on YouTube so you can watch this play. He's going to drift left, look back over the middle. They're running a dagger concept at the top of the screen or to the left side of the screen. They're having a. Uh, Dominic Lovett run a clear out route. They're going to have a dig, 10 to 12 yard dig with Lab McConkey right beside it. And Carson Beck going to roll out to his, going to step to his left, excuse me, drift to his left, defender in his face, and he's going to be early to the dig. Car- Lab McConkey right here at the top left of the screen is just now, just now hitting his break. He is early to this, and it's a hell of a throw. Hell of a throw. This is an NFL throw. He's going to. NFL evaluators are going to turn on this tape and say, oh, my God, who's the quarterback that just made that throw? And shout-out to Lyle McConkey for catching that. Shout-out to Lyle McConkey for getting 25 more yards after the catch with that. Heck of a throw. But you got people in the mentions, Dan. I got a person in my mentions coming in here talking about a Purdue quarterback. I'm like, who mentioned him? I'm talking no, about and, I'm not talking about Purdue. And, and, and Carson Beck is prototypical prototypical NFL size. He's making tight window throws. And you said this is his coming out party. Like For me, it's Kentucky. I mean, the guy had uh, 389 yards and four touchdowns against Kentucky, put up 51 points. That was his coming out party. I mean, he played well. He's played well in every game. I don't think he's really had a bad game. I mean, maybe you could point to the Vandy game. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I, I just I, – I, I don't know. I don't think he's had a bad game. I, th- I think he lit it up. But you're right. You're 100% right. That throw, tight window throw, throwing the ball – like you're throwing them open, right? You're throwing before the break. That is an NFL throw. You know, I always heard – like our coaches always said in high school, uh, a high school quarterback throws after the break. A college quarterback throws on the break. An NFL quarterback throws before the break. And that's the progression. And um, he's throwing he's throwing NFL style. He's throwing it before the break. So – if. I said it's what four or five weeks ago. If you're bitching about Carson Beck, if you think Carson Beck's the problem on this Georgia football team, you just don't know football. Period. You think Kirby Smart and Mike Bobo's the problem on this football team for this offense? I'll find you a door to this stream. I'll find you a door. We will find one uh, to this offense. But hey, Dan, you had an excellent, excellent text Saturday. Mark Rick and uh, Mark Rick and Mike Bobo have ran this program to the ground. No, 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 that's not what I said. So you're not old enough to understand, but there was a there was a, a joke that has been running since the early 2000s, and it was Mark Rick has lost control of the program and fire Bobo. And that's like I have a group of friends that is that has been a running joke forever. Whenever. So whenever it doesn't matter, anything could happen. Like there could be war in Israel, and we'd be like, "Oh my God, Mark Rick just lost control of this program." Fire Bobo. I mean, it's just it's just a running joke, um, and it's it's been around forever. And anybody who's an honest dog fan, we only have one person watching. But um, if anybody listening, if you are a dog fan and go back to before you know Harrison was born in the early two thousands, you'll know that joke. So that was the joke. Uh. Where am I going to go next? Uh, I, I'm. Let's talk defense real quick, Dan. Uh, we saw some new. We, we saw some new names this year. Tyrion Ingram, Dawkins. I completely forgot about this guy because we hadn't seen him. Tid. Yeah, Tid has come back, played like a stud, got himself a strip sack uh, when his first snaps of the game. Uh, we saw some younger guys too. Damon Wilson catching praise on the timeline. Uh, Marvin Jones. I know we've seen him this year. 
AJ or Gabe Harris, excuse me. You saw him. A lot of young edge rushers, a lot of those guys, those five stars that Georgia signed over the years, you saw those guys. And to me, it was probably the most dominant this Georgia defense line has looked in a game all year. Maybe aside from the second half against South Carolina, I know I don't think Georgia got many sacks against South Carolina, but there's a lot of pressure. Well, today, Georgia had four sacks, or Saturday, excuse me, had four sacks against Florida. Probably a crap load of pressures. Dan, defensively, I know everybody wants to talk about the two garbage time touchdowns. I know nobody likes seeing those put up because it really just doesn't reflect how the game went. Florida wasn't worth 20 points. They were barely worth seven points. But, hey, they get they get 13 points in the second half in the fourth quarter alone in the last, I think, six minutes. Uh, and 43 to 20. What was your takeaways from this defense, Dan? Um, the same as always. It's fast. Uh, you know, flow into the ball smart. I think that's the one thing that gets lost uh, on when whenever we talk about defenses and we talk about Kirby Smart defenses. Yes, they're fast. Yes, they're athletic. Yes, they're arguably the most talented players in the country. But the one thing I think gets lost time in and time out is how smart these guys are. Um, how well they watch film, how they adjust is very, very rarely do we see them make an error where it's, it's a mental error, right? I mean, like sometimes maybe they over pursue here or there or something like that, but like they don't really have busts. And like for me, a bust is a lot of guys doing the wrong things. It's usually maybe one guy's a little bit out of position, position and Kirby will absolutely railroad him for being out of position. But I, the the one takeaway for me, and I think, it, like I said, I think it gets lost a lot of times, is just how smart this defense is. And they showed it again, especially on that fourth down play where they decided to snap it between the legs of their quarterback to the to uh, ETN in the backfield. And Smile Mondan just runs right past the wide receiver. He's like, nope, you're not going to get the ball because I'm about to go cause havoc in the backfield. And ETN never even had a chance to get that off because Smile was on his jock in a blink of an eye. Um, again, smart. They diagnosed it. They weren't fooled. The entire Georgia defense didn't flinch. They were ready to go. So, um, I again, my biggest takeaway is it's a smart damn defense. Dan, before we transition real quick into Mizzou talk, answer this question for me and Zach. <clears throat> what? You're talking about Dominique Wilkinson, the commit. Yeah, Jake, oh yeah. So he's a Grayson, uh, super athletic, super bouncy. Uh, I would say up to this point of his career, he is. Uh, basically excelled off of just his athleticism, maybe not as sharp as some of the other guys and the basic fundamentals of basketball, uh, maybe not the best shooter, maybe not the best uh, passer, uh, maybe doesn't dribble as well as some other guys, but he's extremely athletic, and he's actually at a really good spot at Grayson. They really developed their guys. He's playing with some really, really quality. Uh, they lost Caden Allen. Caden Allen went down to IMG, or I'm sorry, Mount Verde, Mount Verde. Uh, that's where Caden Allen went. Caden is uh, in Cannon's age group. And so, uh, yeah, but they, they got a lot of really good playmakers over there at Grayson. Um, really, really, really high-end kind of a guy, like ceiling guy. Uh, like I said, I mean, it's one of the easiest things in the world to work on are the fundamentals, right? Like that's the thing that you can drill and you can go to trainers, you can get better at your fundamentals. Uh, the one thing that you can't really get better at is being a freak athlete, and he's already got that. He is born that way. So freak athlete, super high upside, um, just basically got to work on some of the rough, you know, just polishing the rough edges. Um, and, not, and like by no means am I saying he's not good at those things. I'm just saying maybe he's not elite at those things like some of the other kids are. But I think this is um, uh, it's really good that they got him early. I think he could be a, a project guy uh, early. And then obviously he could he could shape into a, a really dynamic player for the dogs. One more, Dan. Mike White's been on a heater lately. I know you know this person and you know his family. So go ahead and give us – go ahead and do it, Dan. We haven't had a show since A's Newell. Probably the – I think he's the third biggest uh, – third most talented Georgia recruit in terms of stars that Georgia basketball has landed all time. Give us Dan Kelly's thoughts on, on that. Uh, so my thought on that is that Ace Newell is um, in incredible. And he gets – he gets downgraded like – he was a top five player in the country in one service. Now he's like 13 or 11 or 10 or whatever the case may be. The reason that he's not as high as some of the other guys is because he's not an on ball guy. He's not the guy who's going to take the ball and score 35 points every single night. But what he is, is uh, an outstanding defender, really high motor guy, really educated, you know, just a very, very smart kid. He is a 
absolute rim protector. Go back and watch uh, his clips from Team USA. Uh, he was the best defender that we had on Team USA in in the um, the the Goodwill Games or whatever the hell they were called um, this past year. Uh, by far the best defender on the team, um, and he's a lefty. He's he could step out and shoot. He can knock down a threes. Uh, I would say he's probably. 40 35 to 40% three point shooter in high school, which is actually pretty incredible for somebody's size. I want to say 6'10. Um, I know that sometimes they get like lofted up a little bit, but he's kind of a legit 6'10, maybe 6'9, but probably 6'10. Uh, real long, real athletic, could definitely put on some weight. I think that's the one thing that he'll have to do eventually is put on a little bit of weight, but he's really strong, really athletic. He's incredible. And, you know, but the reason that he's not going to be as high as some guys like Cooper flag is he's not ball dominant. He, he plays off other guys. He rebounds extremely well. He finishes at the rim, finishes with contact. He's an extremely, extremely talented kid. All I'm hearing is Mike white for listen, go get some shooters, surround these guys, go get somebody that can be a knockdown bucket getter. Uh, and you got a hell of a <clears throat> hell of a team right there. Just off the bat, Dan, Georgia, Missouri, it's a ranked matchup. Uh, to to this date, is probably the biggest game Georgia's going to play in at this point in the year, has has played in all year. Obviously, you'll have Ole Miss following that, and then on the road at Tennessee. Missouri's not, and I think Greg McElroy said this well, Missouri's not the traditional ranked team. They're not the traditional, you know, program that you think of as a good, as a good opponent. Like, you know, people scoff at Missouri. People scoffed at Georgia having to come back and beat Missouri last year. Kirby Smart gave him a ton of respect after that post game where Georgia had to go back, had a heck of a comeback in the fourth quarter to beat them. But now they have, I mean, to date, they beat Kansas State week three, 30 27. Kansas State ranked, ooh, I want to say they're ranked currently uh, out of the Big 12. They barely lost to LSU, 49 39 shootout. They beat Kentucky. It is, they, they whooped South Carolina the other week. They're actually a talented football team. Uh, for the first time in a while. Brady Cook, guy Georgia saw last year, playing at a really high level. He's had, let's count them, uh, four, yeah, four games, it looks like, four games where he's thrown for over 400 yards, and that man, his top weapon, Luther Burden, in all of those games, almost every game they've played, aside from two, three, excuse me, he's gone for over 100 yards receiving. Uh, Luther Burden, five-star, former five-star receiver commit, somebody that Georgia wanted, went to Mizzou, and now they're starting to get a five-star every once in a while. That's, you know, Mizzou's a team that we talked in the offseason, Dan, when Georgia was after Williams and Rari, uh, the five-star edge rusher. Uh, you know, Mizzou, don't fire Elijah Drinkwitz if he's going to bring you a five-star every other cycle. Don't do it because those are some talented football players that can elevate your football team. That's usually below average. Right now they're above average. They're 7-1 coming into Sanford Stadium for a 3:30 kick. Who would have thought that on CBS? Dan, to me, I think Mizzou's probably going to want to pursue litigation uh, against the playoff committee because I think they're going to get done dirty, man. They are going to face the number two Georgia team with a chip on their shoulder at home, 3.30 kick, basically prime time for SEC is 3.30. They, they got to sue the playoff committee at this point because I think Georgia's going to be on their best game. Well, I mean, I don't think the rankings has anything to do with it. I think that Georgia was had this game circled for the last couple of weeks because everybody's been talking about Missouri. And that's the one thing that Kirby loves to do and the Georgia players love to hear is people talking about other people, right? They love when the other team gets all the hype. Like we saw it last year with the Tennessee game. They relished the opportunity to rub Tennessee's nose in it because they just thrive that way. And everybody's been talking about how good this Missouri team is. And listen, Luther Burden is ridiculous. Okay, like, like I don't think there's a team in the country that would be like, "No, we can't use you," and, you know, because he's that good. And you're 100 percent right when you said Georgia wanted him. I wanted him. I think everybody wanted him, and he's lived up to it. And also keep in mind that he doesn't have the weapons around him that these other guys do. So he's doing this as the focal point of the offense. To me, that deserves extra credit. A little extra snaps right there. Because Luther Burden is dominating the field when everybody in the world knows he's the guy they're going to try to get the ball to. I mean, you could say the same thing in Brock Bowers, but Brock Bowers have weapons around him. So if you decide to focus on Brock Bowers, we're going to torch you somewhere else. Missouri doesn't necessarily have that luxury. Now, what Georgia does have is an elite secondary. They have a lot of guys, and they have a guy named Malachi Starks over the top who's proven to be a ball hawk. 
And I think that that could prove problems. But Georgia's defense is elite when they want to be. And I think you're 100% right when you say this is a huge trap for Missouri to walk into because Georgia's just lying in wait. We're like a dog ready to hunt. And I think if we didn't see the best version of Georgia this weekend, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely stunned. I think we would come on the show and I would tell you, I don't know what the hell just happened because I anticipate this will be the best we see Georgia look all year long. That's just my anticipation. I could be wrong. Maybe like that about Sweeney says, your your uh, expectations outweigh your appreciations. I'm gonna hold off on Dabba real quick. Dabba had a rant. I don't know if you saw it. Dabba. Oh, it was like ten this. minutes long. On, uh-huh. on a guy. Uh, that's what on he a said. fan. Said yeah, if you said, want the job, come do it. I'm like, whoo. Well, but yeah. this whole thing is that your expectations outweigh your appreciation. Well, How's that we, for a line? Can we add Dabba Sweeney to the smug coaches list? No, and I know he has two national championships. He's normally he's normally not smug, but he's very reactionary. He's and the developed one th- into smug. But but the one thing about Dabo Sweeney, if you go back all the way to the beginning, he has his resume and everything he's ever achieved on the tip of his tongue, ready to spit it out. Like Dabo, you call you this is this was a bad play call. Well, I've won seventeen games in three days. I mean, he's got it just ready to go. He's the only coach I've ever seen do like I. We've all seen the coach read his resume right before he gets fired, but Dabo has his resume and his career highlights on just on the tip of his tongue, ready to fire off anytime somebody has criticism for him. But we just we did it again, Harrison. We segued. Hey, I'm 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 cool with it because I had to work in it while we could. But yeah, uh, Dan hit all the points here, every single point in the book here. Uh, Malachi Starks obviously going to be a big probably opponent. For Burden, uh, not because he's going to be covering, but like you said, he's going to be lurking over top. This is just one of those games, one of those people that you're going to shift coverage towards. When you got you know Luther Burden on the outside against whether it's Kamari Lasseter, whether it's against Alan Everett, Julio, uh, oh boy, uh, Julian Humphrey, excuse me, I know he goes by Julio, uh, you're going to shift coverage over there. You're going to make sure you have a safety over the top. That's what George is going to do. They're going to try to take him away. Uh, Kirby, I know you don't do this a lot. Uh, at Georgia, I know you work left, right, when it comes to corners. Even sometimes you go field boundary corner. But, man, you got people out here saying that Kamari Lasseter is not even a top 10 cornerback in this 2024 NFL draft class. Not even top 10. Think about how wild that is. Kamari Lasseter, not a top 10 corner in the upcoming NFL draft? Wild to me because he's probably top five, maybe top three at this point. But let him travel. Go put Kamari Laster and let him travel through the burden. Let those two alphas go at it because I think it's going to uh, develop into a serious chess match between those two. Uh, let him do it. I'm, I'm, I want to see that matchup. Let Kamari Laster go travel against the best. Let him match up with him every single rep. And if Luther Burden's going to see somebody in a Georgia jersey, let it be Kamari Laster and let it be Malachi Starks coming over the top to either you know pick off that football or to put him in the dirt. Uh, Dan, you know, the one thing that I would tell Missouri is to make sure that you keep burden out of the middle of the field because you know, you got Javon Bullard in the middle, Ooh, Malachi Starks will hit you. somebody, yeah. You've got, but your linebackers will drop back in the coverage. And if you just mess around uh, on the wrong particular play and you got burden coming across the middle and you maybe got Smile Mondon coming the other way, or you know, just uh, any one of those linebackers, really, but. I would say keep him out of the middle of the field. That's That would be my uh, – if I'm Missouri, that would be something that i try not to do is get my star receiver killed. Well, I think this matchup comes down to this very thing, Dan. Uh, and you see Ohio State, I think, and some of these other teams that have really good receivers on the outside, they're able to do it because they were able to draw the attention. But if Missouri can prove themselves enough that, hey, burden's a problem for you, that you're gonna have to bring a safety from out of the box. You're gonna have to bring your second safety out of the box and get Georgia out of its traditional single high system and put them over top because you got Burden and somebody else that's killing Georgia. Then that bodes well for them if they can prove they got more than just Luther Burden that's gonna need help getting you know safety help over the top. Then that is, I would say, formula for success for Missouri because if you take that extra safety out of the box, that's one less hat in the box and it's easier to run on against the Georgia football team that specializes in stopping the run. Really want to see that. Can they do that against Georgia? I, I don't think they can. I think Georgia's obviously going to have matchups in place to face Burden, going to be ready for that, whether it's a traveling Kamari Lasseter or 
It's having Malachi Starks or Javon Bullard over the top everywhere he goes. Uh, another question that I I think another key for Missouri, if Missouri is going to get a win here, they're going to have to be able to run the football. And I get it. It is so cliche at this point because we talk about it every single week. How do you beat Georgia? Well, you need to go off, have some explosive passing plays, and you will pass the football at a really high rate. Do it well, not turn the ball over. You also got to be able to run it. The people who can run the ball on Georgia are usually the teams that beat Georgia. Because if Georgia can't stop the run, that's one less. That's that's one more thing they got to worry about. If they can make you a passing football team, it, it's almost over at that point. It's almost over because they can just stock up, take people out of the box, and don't have to worry about you putting the football on the ground. So there you go, Missouri. If you're watching, those are the two T's of the game. Can you create explosively outside, outside the numbers, get the passing game going, and can you run the football if Georgia pulls a safety out of that box because that's one less hat you got to worry about as an offensive line unit. Dan. Score predictions, Missouri, uh, Georgia, Sanford Stadium, 3.30, CBS. Shut up, Gary. Let's go. So I don't remember what my score prediction was last week, but I, I felt like I was pretty close. I felt like I was kind of spot on. Um, maybe I wasn't. I don't know. I'll have to go back and look. But I don't know. For me, I don't I, I, This This game to me feels like 45-17. 45, Ooh. yeah, 45, 20, maybe. I don't know, somewhere in there. Like, I think Missouri's going to score a couple, um, maybe late. Uh, Georgia's got a tendency to pull pull the dogs off and let them kind of add on late. I don't know. I just, for some reason, I have Georgia getting to 45. That's just what I have them getting to. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Maybe it'll be a lot closer. But I, I just, in my heart, I feel like this is going to be a game where we get the best best version of Georgia. And I think they're going to be really aggressive. Now, the one thing that I will tell you is that Kirby respects Eli Drinkowitz for whatever reason. So maybe maybe 45 is rich. Maybe it's more like 34 or 17 or something like that. Um, I'm going to ride with you on this one. Uh, I'm not going to say Georgia gets 40, uh, although I think they could. I definitely think they could. But, you know, Georgia could have gotten 50 against Florida. Call me wrong, but Georgia definitely could have put up 50 on Florida if they wanted to. I think you're uh, wrong because I think you would have if he could have. You think? Yeah, because he hates Florida. I, I know that, but I don't think he wants to get Billy fired at this point. Uh, I, I I think for sure he would have laid the point. I mean, maybe he already did. I don't know. I forget what the score was, but he definitely laid some points on Dan Mullen in 2021 uh, to go ahead and get that situation to where it was. I'm going to go 37-14. I think Missouri finds the end zone twice, but I think Georgia takes you know gets away with it maybe by halftime, a little bit before halftime like they did against Florida. Uh I, it, my hot take, if you're willing to bet on it, first score of the game, go ahead and lay the money on Missouri to score first. This is not financial advice, just my opinion. Missouri, first touchdown. Uh, I think they're going to score because we've seen over the last few weeks, Georgia will let you get on the board early, and then they're going to shut you down for the rest of the game. So That's here's my goes. The question I need answered is UGA 15 and a half, minus 15 and a half. That is rich. I mean, our, our, this is arguably the best team they've played to date. They're number 12. They are the number 12 Missouri Tigers. They're 15 and a half point favorites. I think Georgia's like, I don't think, I think Georgia just covered for one of the first times this past weekend yeah. too. Like yeah. Georgia's not great against the spread this year. No, they uh, But I'm going to, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take it because they're ranked number two, Dan. And we said at the beginning of the show that Kirby Smart was probably rejoicing at the fact that when he gets a text from his old buddy, a text about Dan Mullen. Uh, that he's ranked number two in the college football playoff rankings. I think Kirby Smart's going to be happy about it. I think that's going to juice up that football team uh, like it did against Tennessee last year. I I'm going to take Georgia minus 15 and a half. I think they're going to cover. I think they're going to go over that uh, and win this in hand. <sighs> it was a loaded show today, boys uh, boys and girls. Absolutely loaded show. We had a blast. Uh, we got Dan's Alabama accent impression again after the uh, Alabama's back rant that we had a few weeks ago you know where to find them at dan kiley three on twitter i'm at harrison reno on twitter we'll see you back next year tuesday 7 30 win or lose because you damn sure can't have a drawn college football anyways we'll see you back episode 107 top talk podcast we appreciate you for being here like subscribe rate us five stars because we're the best damn recruit in the industry at this point uh we'll see you back here next week